The Lord be with you, pillar friends. It's a gift to be together in this way. And to whom shall we go? Today, we go to Christ, to God's word, the slain lamb. We get to enter into that story together. But before we do, I have a brief story for you. This weekend, I was on the phone with a dear pillar friend. I was catching up with him, asking how he's doing, hearing updates. First we started shallow and then we got deep and I was asking him about the hard things of life. And what you need to know is this friend has been through an enormous loss. And it's not important what the loss is. Maybe it was the death of a dream, a breakup, a diagnosis with the kind of results no one wants to hear. But what you need to know is that it was an enormous loss, the kind of loss that has left him at the end of himself, wearied and discerning, Lord, where are you in this? And you know the point, you might have experienced this, at the end of a conversation with another Christian, when you're kind of, things are dwindling down and one person says, uh, so how can I pray for you? It usually means you're out of time. <laughs> um, I asked him that, how can I pray for you? And I guess I was expecting a list of what I would deem practical things. But what he said to me was stunningly beautiful and a sermon in its own right. And I'll, I'll let you in on what he said in a minute. But first, we're going to enter into the, the story of Scripture together. The story of the slain lamb. We're going to enter God's way of seeing things to receive the truest story of the past, the present, and the future. To be given a, a new vision of what's really true. And so as we do that, I invite you to name before God what you're carrying today. Maybe it's sadness, maybe it's grief, maybe it's celebration, maybe it's a certain longing or a certain joy. But as we enter into this story of the slain lamb, know that God sees those things, knows those things, and there's space for what you're carrying in the throne room of heaven that we're about to enter. Hear these words from the book that we love. After this, I looked, and there in heaven, a door stood open. And the first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. And the one seated on the throne looks like Jasper and Carnelian. And in front of the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones, 
And seated on the thrones are 24 elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. In front of the throne, there's something like a sea of glass, like a crystal. Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and worship singing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls, the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. After this, I looked and I, I heard the voice of many angels among the four living creatures and the elders and surrounding the throne. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive 
glory and power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. (laughs) Can we just take a minute? How beautiful, how stunningly beautiful. Can you taste it? I feel like I've been transported to a different place, zoomed out to see the world as it truly is and will be someday. It's almost like I can feel the joy and the utter adoration and the pulsing energy of being together, worshiping the one seated on the throne and the lamb. And I can almost taste this reality too when we worship here together, when a loving family feasts around a table, when I witness a wedding ceremony, when we're gathered in and around the word, I can almost taste it. I especially almost taste it in in the supper, in communion. That's when I can almost taste it, what it'll be like when we're gathered to worship the slain lamb together. But if we're honest, this vision is a far cry from what we experience day to day. And that's the point. The point is to be drawn up and out of our mundane and terrifying reality to see the world as it truly is. There's a really helpful quote by one of my favorite biblical scholars um, along these lines about what it means to be zoomed out and see the world like John is in this vision. My friend Juliana, a fellow Pillarite, and my roommate is going to read that for us. John's work is apocalyptic because the way that it enables its readers to see their situation with prophetic insight into God's purpose is by disclosing the content of a vision in which John is taken out of this world in order to see it differently. He is transported into the final future of the world so that he can see the present from the perspective of what its final outcome must be in God's ultimate purpose for human history. The effect of John's visions, one might say, is to expand his reader's world, both spatially into heaven and temporally into the eschatological future, or to put it another way, to open their world to divine transcendence. I love that. To be taken to a different place, spatially and temporally. And I I don't know about you, but I feel like I need this. I need a reminder of perspective to be brought out of my reality and to see things as they truly are in in light of Christ, in light of the slain lamb. 
When John was writing, it was a time when the tiny new Christian church was being bombarded with images of Roman power, festivals, rituals, powerful iconography, these images of what's really true about the world just bombarded. And I think we feel bombarded by images as well from all directions. I mean, on one hand, there's images all around us of the good life, of what beauty is, of what success looks like, of what it means to make it. And then on the other hand, we find ourselves swamped with images of the world as it's not supposed to be, images of empty classrooms, empty restaurants, your grandkiddos on a screen, and we lament that, images of how it's not supposed to be. And so this vision of Revelation is like a prophetic counter image to refurbish our imaginations in the Jesus way. It's like a purging of our imaginations with visions of how the world is and one day will be when all is made new in fullness. So we're going to zoom in on a couple images from this passage together. And we're hoping to see ourselves within this story um, from this new vantage point. So we're going to zoom in on who is worshiping and who is being worshipped. And as we do that, we'll open our imaginations up to the Spirit to transform us. First of all, who is being, who is worshiping? Who are the ones that are worshiping? And the answer is everyone. I mean, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, and then I heard everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. No one is left out. This is everyone. John's vision is all-encompassing. No one finds themselves outside of the reality of the Lamb's jurisdiction. The authority of the one who is seated on the throne in the slain Lamb extends toward the whole world. I think one of the really valuable things about John's vision is that it reminds us of the scope of the gospel. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, it's not just this private religious experience. It's stating what's true about all of reality for everyone everywhere. And so with this scope, one day, everyone will worship the Lamb at some point, whether in fear or love or both, everyone will know at the core of their being that the slain Lamb is worthy to be worshipped. And this reality gives us hope for today. It's everyone. I was talking to my roommate, Juliana, and I asked her, what sticks out to you about this passage? And she said, one day everyone can be together. One day everyone can be together. And I think this gives us hope, a vision of everyone. We're situated in these days where only a few is the way of neighbor love, is the way of showing up, the way of entering in. 
but also we can cling to the hope that one day COVID will be no more and everyone will be gathered together worshiping Jesus, who's the center of it all. I worked at a camp during my summers during college, and it was in the beautiful Northwoods of Wisconsin. Um, And on Sundays with our campers, we'd try to do church in a creative, imaginative, different way. And so one Sunday, we were gathered on this hill that overlooks all of camp. So you can see the forest and the sky, and it's pretty heavenly. And, And that particular day, it was like 83 and sunny, and there were giant, gentle clouds floating by in the sky. And one of the counselors who was leading us was helping campers wrap their imaginations around a passage in the Gospels about the kingdom of heaven. And he asked this question to all these little campers. He said, what do you imagine the kingdom of heaven is like? And I'll never forget it. One of the littlest ones among them raised her hand and said, the kingdom of heaven is we. And I was stunned. I was like, little theologian. It was beautiful. And I'll never forget it. The kingdom of heaven is we. All of us together with God. The kingdom of heaven is we. So who's worshiping? Everyone. And then I heard everyone. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every creature. And in the sea. And all that is in them. Second, we're going to notice who is being worshipped. To the one seated on the throne and to the lamb. That's who. The lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. And the one seated there who looks like Jasper and Carnelian. That's who we worship. And John is faced with this question in the Roman Empire when he's being bombarded with images of authority and power and control. Who is the real Lord? And And this vision says, it's the slain lamb and the one seated on the throne. We worship the king of the world. And and this slain lamb, when he takes the the scroll and begins to open it, this is a symbol of him guiding history to its ultimate conclusion. This is the one who has authority over everything. The slain lamb, Christ, is to be worshipped with the Father and the Spirit. This is the Alpha and Omega God. This is the Christ we confess, who became for us the slain lamb. That's who we worship. And like Pastor John said last week, that's not an excuse to step into apathy or disengaging. It's not to say Jesus is Lord and to withdraw from the world. To say Jesus is King and not care. It's actually the opposite. Because Jesus is king, because the slain lamb holds the scroll of history and contains the telos of the cosmos in himself, we can enter into the mess of the world's pain. We can show up and engage and love our neighbor, knowing that the ultimate outcome is held by the slain lamb who has conquered evil. Who is being worshipped? The one seated on the throne and the slain lamb. And who is this slain lamb? This is the one who the prophets pointed toward, the lion of Judah, who everyone was expecting to come as a military king in force and in power. 
And this is the amazing moment of reversal. It's shocking, actually. And then I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Standing as if it had been slaughtered. This is the central mystery of it all, that God overcomes death and evil and suffering, not through a show of force, but through the suffering of the slain lamb, through the suffering, of death, suffering and death of Jesus. God's Old Testament promise of a future victorious kingdom is held in this one. Jesus overcame his enemies by dying for them as the true Passover lamb. Jesus' death on the cross was his enthronement, the way he conquered evil. The slain lamb is the one who chose the way of suffering and death for us and for our salvation, carrying the world's suffering in his body to ransom for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this means something for us now. Listen to this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. The deep meaning of the cross of Christ is that there is no suffering on earth that is not borne by God. The deep meaning of the cross of Christ is that there is no suffering on earth that is not borne by God. This is the one who chose the way of self-giving, self-emptying, becoming like us and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what does that mean for us as the ones who follow the slain lamb? That means for us, the way forward, the way through, is the way of self-giving, the way of self-emptying, the way of love that sometimes feels like and looks like death. But as we join Jesus and share in his death, we proclaim his victory until he comes again. I have a couple stories about my dear roommates because they're the people I'm in proximity with who show me most clearly the way of the slain lamb. First story is Juliana. She's a third grade teacher at Holland Language Academy. And every day she shows up with energy that could only be from the Holy Spirit. And she shows the love of Christ to those kiddos. They actually had a superhero day at school a couple days ago. And Juliana had one of her students dress up as her. And they all got to go around the classroom and say, why they had chosen their superhero. And this little, little kiddo says, I dressed up as Maestra Burlette because she loves us and she teaches us new things and she makes school fun. That's the way of the slain lamb. That's the way of self-giving. Second story is about my roommate, Kelly Leichert. I'm convinced that Kelly keeps the United States Postal Service in business. You might have received a letter from her. There's a great chance that you have. <laughs> her and others among us at the Pillar community have been sending notes of love, encouragement, and presence to those who find themselves homebound or in need of connection or in need of a, a pen pal. And I kid you not, every day when I come home from class, there's a couple more letters in our mailbox that she's sending out that's the way of the slain lamb. 
Kelly giving of herself, expecting nothing in return, but letting the self-giving spirit of Christ in her love others. This vision and revelation is saying that behind Rome's lofty claims to power and control is a little lamb who gave his life for these little people so that they could give their little lives for everyone else around them. And I believe that this flow of self-giving love is actually what's real amidst the illusion of power and control. And that God uses these tiny acts of self-giving in more important, massive ways than you could even imagine. So we find ourselves in this already not yet time before we get to participate fully in that throne room scene we experience together. But Christ's spirit is with us. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. We live our lives in him, the slain lamb who came near, self-emptied, and gave himself for us. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, the one from Mary's womb who became a source of life for all people, the one who we remain rooted in, the one who we abide in, the one in whom we bear fruit. It's him. He's the one who opens the scroll. He's the one who has the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? It's him. So remember my story from the beginning? My friend who had experienced an enormous loss, the kind of loss that leaves you flat on your face, discerning what might be next and almost unsure if anything good could come next. When I asked what I could pray for him about, this is what he said. He said, pray that I would remember Jesus. Pray that I would remember Jesus. I love that. How beautiful. And that's my prayer for, for you, for me, for us as a church community, that we would remember Jesus the slain lamb who became for us life everlasting and whom we will worship someday. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.